Hi, everyone. We've set up this Being an Engineer podcast as an industry knowledge repository, if you will. We hope it'll be a tool where engineers can learn about and connect with other companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. So make some connections and enjoy the show. One thing I would say is, if you're given 10 minutes, for instance, don't practice till you are finishing within 10 minutes, because inevitably during the, the pitch, you may say something that you hadn't practiced, and the next thing you know, you're going over the time. So if you're given 10 minutes, I say practice to eight minutes. Hello and welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. Today we are speaking with a repeat guest, Neil Thompson, who holds degrees in materials engineering and biomedical engineering. Neil has held roles as a product development engineer, freelance writer, patent agent, professional speaker, business development manager, author, and company founder. You can find him online at teachthegeek.com, askuncleneilbooks.com, and youtube.teachthegeek.com. Neil, thank you so much for joining us again on the Being an Engineer podcast. Thanks for having me back, Aaron. All right. So um, you help engineers or technical professionals, STEM individuals, um, speak better, present better. Um, you have a new program that uh, you've just released. Tell us a little bit about this program. Sure. Well, I'm calling it the Teach the Geek Pitching Society. So as you mentioned, I work with technical people on their presentation skills, but up until this point, it's been mainly people that work within companies. With the Pitching Society, I'm now reaching out to people who have technical backgrounds, may have been employees at one point, or likely were employees at one point, but now they're founders. They founded their own companies. They've bootstrapped their companies to as far as they can take it. And now they're looking to get investment from angel investors, VC firms. They're entering pitch competitions. And perhaps they're not the best at putting their ideas out there to a point where people could really understand what they what they what they have founded, what their product or service is, and they're struggling to get the funding that they really deserve. So this is largely geared towards technical professionals, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Everything I do is is geared towards people like me, people with technical backgrounds. Nice. And and why is that the focus? Why not open this program up to everyone under the sun who is doing pitches? Because I don't know anything about everybody. I know about I, I know about me though. I know about that I'm a founder. I, I know that I was a technical professional, or I suppose I still am in, in, a, in a sense. Maybe you always are. But I, I, everything I do, even my, even the, the children's book, it's all geared. It's all geared towards tech. It's all geared towards STEM. It's all geared towards people like me. Yeah. So this is different than Teach the Geek to Speak, which is a brilliant name, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, this is the Teach the Geek to Speak was geared towards technical people who actually work in companies. So these are the people that have to give presentations in front of management. Maybe they have to give a conference talk as a as a representative of their company, that type of thing. The pitching society is for people who are entrepreneurs, but, but they have these technical backgrounds as well. Okay. What are some of the obstacles that you find technical professionals often fall victim to when they're they're pitching a, a big one is empathy it's very difficult to put yourself back in the position that you were in before you were a technical person because we weren't always that way it, it's taken degrees and 
and years working within industry or, or having your own business to really go hone those skills as a technical person, to have that technical expertise. But there are instances where you're giving a presentation in front of people who don't have that same level of expertise. And you didn't tailor your presentation to a, a, in a way that these, these type of people can understand. And now you're actually, you need something from them. As opposed to back when you were working in a corporate environment, maybe you're looking for buy-in for a project. Now you're actually looking for money for, to, to fund your endeavor. And that could be the difference between the company existing and not existing. At least if, if you failed at convincing somebody at a company when you, back when you were an employee to take on a project, you still likely will have a job. You'll still get paid every other week. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're basically a wild animal. You're not a zoo animal anymore. You got to go out and, 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 and kill. And, and if you don't kill, then you don't eat. And, and if you don't eat, then, then you starve and go back to corporate. So I, I'm, really, I'm really keen on helping <laughs> the technical founders just understand that for, for, them to, for, their, for your message to even, be, to, to even be accepted by the people that you're speaking to, have some empathy to know that they're not the same level as you. And you need to tell your presentations to a way that they can understand. And I think another big issue that a lot of them have is they use a whole lot of jargon that perhaps the people in the audience, the people who are the decision makers may not understand. I mean, this whole idea of the pitching society came from me attending pitch competitions. And a lot of the people that were pitching, they have technical backgrounds because they would say so during the presentation. Maybe they had a PhD in in engineering or a PhD in uh, biological science, something like that, a, a PhD in a STEM field. And when they presented, you can tell they, they use a whole lot of, of jargon that perhaps the people in the audience can't understand. And if people can't understand, then the answer is likely going to be no. And as I mentioned before, you really don't want the answer to be no more often than not, because the 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 the, the, the livelihood or the the, the, the vitality, the, the, the existence of your company depends on on you succeeding in these pitch competitions and succeeding in convincing investors to invest in your company. So I think that's a big one too, is just using more commonly used words as opposed to the technical jargon that, that you're accustomed to. And then another thing that I think we struggle with is we like to talk about features as opposed to benefits, but the people may not, the people that are judging you on your, on your pitch may not care so much about the features. They care about what your product or service is going to do for the people that you're trying to help. And, and engineers especially, we're really keen on talking about technical features because we think they're cool. But this isn't about what we think other people should want to hear. It's really about figuring out what, we, what, they, that they, what they want to hear so that the, the answer is going to be yes as opposed to no. So those are three of the ones that I could, I could think of, just having empathy for your audience, using less technical jargon and more commonly used words, and then focusing on benefits as opposed to features. I'm curious, have you had many discussions with the the other end of that pitch? So the investors who are hearing the pitch and received any feedback from them? What have their experiences been when listening to a technical professional pitch them and maybe use words they don't understand or terminologies, anything like that? Well, what it does is it can very well eliminate you from consideration, especially if, I mean, these investors, especially VC investors, they get pitches all the time. and And you really want to be if you want to be able to differentiate yourself from people. Well, you, you, I think a baseline requirement is that they need to understand what you're talking about. If they have to ask too many questions just to get a, a firm understanding of, as to what your product even is and who it helps, that, that that's that's the problem. You you don't want them asking those type of questions. I mean, if they have more technical type questions, because in, in a lot of the instances, the people who are judging you may have technical backgrounds themselves, 
they may go into the weeds on what the technical features are. And, 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 and if that's the case, you could talk to them at that level at that time. But that's not something to assume right away. I mean, there's still going to be other people who are judging your, your, your pitch who don't have that background. And you want to you cater to those people and talk technical when it's appropriate. Do you have recommendations for how entrepreneurs should start their pitch? You know, maybe the, like the first one or two or even three slides, what information should they put out there right away to differentiate themselves and capture the attention of who's listening to them? You know, it's really helpful. That, and this is actually something that I saw at a pitch competition that I went to fairly recently. It was a short video. And the video was about a person who was helped by the product that that the that the pitcher was was talking about, so they're 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 more further along, I suppose. They're not at the beginning of their of their entrepreneurship journey, but so they but they're still seeking funding for their for their ventures. But they've actually sold product. But the video was able to convey the the benefit of that product, but not from the company, but from someone that actually used the product. And when you do that, you get that third party type of approval or you know, seal of approval, it means way more than a company saying that my product is good. I mean, what else are they supposed to say? It sucks. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So use a video. That reminds me of something that I heard you say on your YouTube channel, which is to use stories when you're communicating with people. How does the use of stories tie into uh, investor pitch? Oh, one, it, it's critical because... People, people follow the story more than they follow any sort of features and, and, and any, any more, more so than even data. You have to, the data has to be couched in stories. I mean, this even, this even comes, comes back to, to, to teach the geek to speak and working with technical professionals. It's still the same. The, the, the idea of using stories to convey a message. And when you're trying to convince people to invest in a company, they have to see the story. And the story has to involve a number of things. Certainly, it involves the product. But it also involves the people who are involved with putting the product together, involves the team. People invest, these investors, they're investing in people. They're investing in people that they think can, can take this product all the way to a successful exit or whatever the, the, the ideal or the, the, the goal of, 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 the, of the product is. And if, you don't, if you're not able to convey some sort of message that's followable, that's clear, and, and people get it, then you're likely not going to get the funding you think you, you deserve. Are there any rules of thumb that entrepreneurs should follow as far as a good story versus a, a poor, not very compelling story? I think when it comes to stories, they have to be easy to understand. You have to, again, use words that are understandable by, by everybody or by the majority of the people. The story obviously has to be compelling. The story has to involve the, the benefits of the product that you're trying to sell. Basically, you're trying to elicit an emotion in the, in, in the people who are judging your, your, your product. I mean, as I mentioned, I, I've sat in a number of pitch competitions, and the winners aren't necessarily the ones who have the best product, at least in my mind. They're the ones who are able to convey the best story. They're able to convince the, the people who are judging that this story is one that's will that you should be willing to invest in, and I think when it comes to developing what that story is and, and how it should be structured, it should be easy to follow. I mean, no, 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 going off on tangents. This is something that you really need to hone in very carefully and 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 make sure that people can can follow it and that it's it, and it's easily understandable. Have you ever heard of the book 
uh, Made to Stick. It's a great book. It's about stories. It's about how to tell compelling stories. They go through um, all sorts of, of uh, urban legends and, and things that are really sticky, stories that are really sticky, and they break them down, deconstruct them into their, their, their basic um, underlying frameworks, and they come up with this, this framework of how to put together a sticky story. It's really a great book, and I think something that would be super useful for people who are, are you know, trying to pitch investors or really trying to sell anything, trying to get an idea to stick in somebody's mind. Um, uh, yeah, I, I won't go into too much detail about that, but it's it's the Heath Brothers, H-E-A-T-H, two brothers, Chip, and I can't remember the other one right now, but Made to Stick. I'll put that in the show notes um, in this episode. It's a great book for people who are doing pitches and need to get people to remember a story, a compelling story. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, another thing to mention about stories is Something to make them memorable is overcoming a challenge. I mean, typically, if you're if you're pitching a product or a service to get investment, there's some sort of problem that you're trying to solve, and there's going to be obstacles in the way of solving that problem. What have you been able to do as the as the as the person as the technical founder to overcome the problem better than others that have already come up with other thing? You know, come up with other you know competitive products. If you're able to convey that story then you have a, a really good shot at getting investment. How about the length of the pitch? Are there any rules of thumb for that? Should it be five minutes or 50 minutes or completely depends on the, the context of the pitch? Yeah, it, it certainly depends on the context. I mean, I, as I mentioned, I've, I've attended a number of pitch competitions and they s- seem to run from 10 to 15 minutes. So if you're given that amount of time, certainly use it. One thing I would say is, if you're given 10 minutes, for instance, don't practice till you you are finishing within 10 minutes because inevitably during the, the pitch, you may say something that you hadn't practiced and the next thing you know, you're going over the time. So if you're given 10 minutes, I say practice to, to eight minutes. So in the event that you say things that you, during the actual presentation, during the actual pitch, that you hadn't practiced, you still have that two minute buffer to play with to make sure you finish within time. That's a great pro tip. Anything else that you've, observed in attending all of these different pitches? I mean, you've talked about a few things already. Use simple words, use stories. Any other um, really compelling or influential factors that you've observed uh, watching all these different entrepreneurs pitch? This may sound counterintuitive, but it's having the confidence to say, I don't know. Mm. Ultimately, when, when company or when venture capital or angel investors are investing in people, they want to make sure that these people are coachable and open to feedback. It's very difficult to have all the answers to all the problems. No one likes to know it all. So during the, the Q&A after the presentation, if you're given a question and you don't know the answer, don't try to BS your way through it. Actually say that you don't know and ask that person who asked the question if for, for additional feedback because they may, they may very well be an expert in the question that they're asking and they can offer you that feedback and then they'll actually think, you know what, this person actually had the confidence to say, I don't know, because I think a lot of t- in a lot of cases, when people are in these positions, giving these pitches, they think that if I say I don't know, then they'll think that I'm not an expert. They'll think that this is not something to invest in, and then I won't get the funding that, that, that I'm seeking. But I think it actually does the opposite. It just shows that you're, well, it shows that you're confident, and it also shows that you're honest. So if, if you're both of those things, those are, I think those are two qualities that make it more likely that people invest in you. Yeah, I agree. I have a couple things to add to that. One is that 
based on the the very few investors that I've talked with or I know, it's super important to focus on the team as much as the product. In fact, the investors that I know, they get kind of um, not super happy when the whole presentation is just about the product and the team isn't discussed because ultimately they're investing in the team. The team is the only thing that really exists at the time of investment, right? There is no product. I mean, yeah, sure. Some some of these companies are a little bit further along. Maybe they have some for, sort of MVP, but a lot of the time it's an idea, right? There's nothing tangible, right? The only real thing that exists at that point is the team. So talk about the team, um, emphasize why it's the right team for that particular venture. And then the other thing is there's a, another book called Originals by Adam Grant, And he talks about, this goes kind of along with what you were saying, Neil, Um, if an investor asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, just be honest, say, I I don't know the answer to that. Um, What Adam Grant talks about, he might be citing another study, I can't remember now, but he talks about how how, uh, effective it is to talk about flaws very openly, not trying to hide the flaws, you know. I think human nature is we want to talk about all the good things that are part of this new idea, this new venture. I does this and it is that and it's XYZ is so much better than the competition. And we, we tend to maybe gloss over the, the flaws or the shortcomings of the product. And research shows apparently that if you do that and then the investor pokes and prods and, and starts to pull out some of those problems um, it is, it is much, you're much worse off. You're much less likely to get the investment than if you were to start by saying, you know, here's some reasons why this is a bad investment. This part doesn't work at all right now. We're not sure why we're still trying to figure it out. Um, this, that part of the market, we don't even know if they have enough money for it, or I'm just kind of speaking extemporaneously here, but, uh, talk about the flaws and be very honest upfront about that. And then talk about the, 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 positives, the pros of it. And that has been shown to be much more effective in getting investors to say yes. 100%, Aaron. And what what it also does is when you reveal those flaws, the people who could potentially invest in you, they may be experts in getting rid of those flaws. But if they don't know the flaws exist, well, they can't really help you. So it, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's, of course, you're going to talk about the pros and how, how your product is better than what's already out there. I think by addressing the flaws as well, you're you're just you're you're presenting a, a, a complete picture of what your your what your venture is, what your what what your company is, and I think it really does make it more likely that you get that investment. Yeah, you know, uh, I sometimes do a little um, what's the word I'm looking for? Example. There's a better word than example. Anyway, I'll I'll have when I'm trying to teach this principle. I will ask someone to to put their fist up in the air, right? And I'll say, okay, just hold your fist there. And then I'll put my fist right in front of theirs. And then I won't say anything, but I'll start pushing on their their fist. And inevitably they push back, right? And I, I say, well, why are you pushing back? And they say, well, I don't I don't know. You you pushed on me, so I just it was natural to push back. And and that's what happens when you're you know you're trying to pitch. Oh, it's it's perfect. Everything's good. Um, investors almost have this sixth sense, and they're going to push back. But if you start with the flaws, then it, it goes the other way, right? You're kind of pulling at that point. You're like pulling, um, uh, pulling. I don't know how to say it exactly, but you're you're talking about the flaws, and investors instead of 
pushing back on you, they'll they'll pull the other way. Say, well, that's that's not so bad, actually. Just like you were saying, right, Neil, maybe they're experts in that area. Oh, that's not so bad. I, I know how to fix that. We've dealt with this before. That's not so bad. Uh, so it, it creates kind of um, uh, a, a mirror energy of, of, of what, what you're putting in. If you're trying to push all the features, their investors probably are going to push back. But if you kind of pull back a little bit, oh, this is why it's not a good idea. Investors are going to come to, to the rescue almost. Oh, that's not so bad. We, we can figure that part out. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with what you're saying, Aaron. I mean, as I, as I mentioned, you, you can talk about all the features and that's great. But if you don't mention those flaws, I mean, you're, those flaws may never get addressed because you're trying to hide them. And when you're a, when you're a founder, of course, you're seeking money, you're seeking capital. But what you should also be seeking is advice. What you should be seeking is feedback, because when you do that, then you, you improve your MVP, you improve your, you, know, you improve your overall product. You improve the morale of the team because we're not fighting over what those flaws are anymore. We're actually getting solutions to what those flaws are because we're open enough to and honest enough to talk about them. It's just I don't see a downside to it. It's, it's really just more of an ego thing. You don't want to admit that that there are flaws, but I think you do yourself a disservice when you do that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And the best investors are not the ones who are just giving you money. It's like you said, they're they're giving you advice. They're providing um, a support system, a team. They're bringing in expertise that, that you should and can leverage. Oh, that, that's, that really should be the whole point. I mean, if, if you're just worried about the capital, I think that's a very short-sighted view to take. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, what else should entrepreneurs keep in mind as they're pitching to investors? Well, I think when it when it comes down to it, it's just you need to put your certainly you need to put yourself out there. I mean, there are instances where you may be working on working on a product and you know that you need the investment. You've bootstrapped as long as far as it can go, but perhaps you're a bit shy or hesitant to actually get up in front of people because you're scared they're going to call your baby ugly. And that may very well be the case. I mean, maybe your baby hasn't looked the best it can look. But you can help this. These people can help your baby look the better than, than it currently does. So it, it's certainly helpful to, to put yourself out there to, to get your baby looking nice. <laughs> I don't know why I just remember this right now, but you have this, I thought, hysterical video on YouTube about what to do if you're a sweater, right? If you're someone who sweats up there, gets really nervous. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. If you're a sweater, wear a sweater. <laughs> I love it. It's that's such a dad joke. It's <laughs> if you're a sweater, wear a sweater. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and I'd sweat really well. We, if you just wear a regular shirt, you see those big old pit stains, all all all, all, all wet and stuff. People are looking at you like, well, I don't know about this guy. This guy's sweating bullets, like, uh, like 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 it's a problem. But if you wear that sweater, it covers that up real nicely. I laughed out loud when I when I watched that one. Any other tips you can provide for um, people like me who tend to get a little nervous when I'm up in front of a crowd I don't know speaking? Well, I mean, certainly it's something to manage. I, I've actually had a, a few people on my podcast who have given some interesting tips on how to manage how to manage nerves. One of them is to go into the bathroom, not to use any of the facilities, but just to go into a stall and sit down to collect your thoughts and to breathe. Because typically, if you're outside of the stall, well, outside the bathroom, that's where the pitch is happening. There's going to be a whole bunch of people there, and that might just heighten your nerves even more. But if you just go to a quiet place like a bathroom and just sit there, it, it really helps in just calming your nerves. Another, another, another one that was really interesting was wiggling your toes. 
<laughs> and apparently, if you wiggle, and uh, the person who gave it this, this advice swears by it, and she says that if you when you wiggle your toes, it, it you forget more, you forget about your nervousness, and you're thinking about the toe wiggling. So it's, <laughs> uh, it, it's something that I've tried, and I mean, I, I think it works pretty well. But I would suggest if you were to do it, don't wear open toe shoes. <laughs> good, uh, good advice. You know when. I get nervous speaking to people, not necessarily even public speaking, just, I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm talking with a new customer or something, and I, I just, I find that I get nervous sometimes speaking to people. I find that I will naturally start curling my toes. It's just an, a subconscious thing that happens. Maybe there's some reverse correlation there. If you intentionally start curling your toes, maybe that tends to relax you somehow. I don't know. But I, I do think that... Um, psychology follows physiology. So it, whether it's wigg wiggling your toes or maybe it's just taking some big deep breaths nice and slowly, right? Uh, controlling your physiology is going to lead to a more calm psychology. Yep. Wiggle your toes, deep breaths, and wear a sweater. You'll be all and right. Wear a sweater. <laughs> uh, wise words from Neil Thompson. All right. Um, what else? What other thoughts do you have that we should cover that we haven't talked about so far? Let's see. Any other thoughts? I mean, ultimately, you have to get out there and do it. You don't get better at it without the reps. And every time you give a presentation, if at all possible, video it so you can see yourself afterwards and then see all the things that you liked about your presentation, about your pitch, and all the things that you think you could do better, especially the, the nonverbal type of of of. of, of of things that you could possibly do when, when giving a presentation, do you do weird things with your hands? <laughs> do you, do you, are you sweating profusely? If, if so, then get that sweater going. And, but, <laughs> but you know, you, you just video yourself and, and then you can get better for the next, for the next, uh, for the next pitch. So you've got this program that uh, you've developed to help technical professionals pitch investors. What does that look like? If I wanted to hire you, how would we work together? What what could people expect if they were to engage with you? So the Pitching Society, as I see it, is a monthly membership. And what you would get with it is an online course, similar to the Teach the Geek to Speak course, although this one would be geared towards technical founders. And then you'd also get an online portal where you can interact with the other people, the other members of the Pitching Society. And then there'd be monthly calls where we can go over your pitches to, to, to offer feedback to make them the best that they can be. I mean, right now, what I'm doing with it is, is gathering information, really gauging interest, and then developing a wait list. And so once, I, once enough people join it and they see the benefit of it, well, then it's go time. It, it's time to make it, make it happen and help, help these technical founders with their pitches. All right. And if people want to reach out to you and get on that wait list, how do they do so? They can go to teachthegeek.com slash pitch. Awesome. All right, Neil. Well, a delight again. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And it's been a lot of fun to catch up and learn more about uh, how to pitch to investors. Great. Thanks again for having me, Aaron. You bet. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you like what you heard today, please share the episode. To learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines, and with product design, visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>